weeks in a row at Jack's place. Can't be bad. Hi, it's the Secret Golf Podcast and I'm Diane Knox. Thank you very much for listening and subscribing to the podcast. If you haven't done so already, then you can do it on the Apple Podcasts app or any other websites or apps that you use to listen to your podcasts. And if you could give us a little review, then of course that would be great too. So it is the Memorial Tournament this week at Muirfield Village, two weeks in a row at the course, but it is going to be set up very differently. Last week it was the Workday Charity Open. Colin Morikawa bagging his second PGA Tour win. That playoff with Justin Thomas was amazing to watch. Elk and I talk about that in just a little while. And well, yeah, another week on the same course, but it is going to be set up differently. We're going to have different tee boxes and the rough is going to be horrible. (laughs) Last week, the rough was pretty bad anyway, but this week they weren't letting it, um, or they weren't going to cut it. They were just going to let it grow. So they're saying five and a half inches of rough and uh, the greens are going to be a lot quicker too. Also on this podcast, as well as previewing the Memorial Tournament, I talked to Rian Gibson. Now, Rian is a player on the PGA Tour, not in the field this week at Memorial. Rian actually graduated onto the PGA Tour from the Corn Ferry Tour last year. And I mean, it's kind of complicated how that works. But, you know, just because you have your PGA Tour card, you don't have full status into all the events. So he's only had one start since the tour came back, and that was at the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit. So this week, instead of sitting about, twiddling his thumbs, going to the range and playing by himself, he is playing in the Corn Ferry event in San Antonio. So I talked to Rian um, from there. It's the same course that the Valero Texas Open is on. So um, I have a little chat with him just about how his game's looking, what it's been like since the season restarted, kind of what he's playing for, if he's feeling any pressure, and being back on the Corn Ferry Tour this week. But kicking off the podcast with my regular Zoom interview with Steve Elkington, and uh, you can catch the video on all of our social media. Elk, we have a different background today. I've never seen inside the men's locker room at Champions before, <laughs> for obvious reasons. You might be the only only lady that's uh, seen the inside of the men's locker room. This is one of the great locker rooms of all time. I'm, I'm going to lift up and maybe pan around. It's uh, it's one of the great locker rooms in the world. It's huge. Yeah. Oh, here's our locker, me and Sam. Aww. How nice. Yeah. Where is Mr. Burke's locker? He's on the south side of the locker room. This is the north side. So whatever you saw there, we have another side of it as big. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's pretty. It's pretty cool locker room. Wow. So we get the cool locker room and the even cooler hat today. In yeah, I got my Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas, who, uh, as you know, was one of my great idols growing up. In fact, um, I thought I'd start this um, – Zoom call with a story about Jack, can I? Of course. We always love to hear them. <laughs> so when I was a young fella growing up in Wagga Wagga, Jack Nicholas, uh, it was said that Jack Nicholas was going to come over and play the 1978 Australian Open. And it was played at the Australian Golf Club that he designed. And we had, for months, six months ahead of time, we bought our train tickets and everything. And um, we were following in the newspaper because we didn't have um, – because we didn't even have a TV in our house back then. Um, so we used to go next door and watch the neighbors. They only had two channels, kind of like where you grew up, 
have two channels. You maybe had three channels. <laughs> we did. Four, I think. <laughs> Four, yeah. Anyway, um, so Jack Nicholas came over and he went to the Barrier Reef and he went marlin fishing, black marlin fishing. And I'm going to stop that story there. And the same story, but I'm going to jump ahead to like, I don't know, a couple of years ago as I was at Jack, Jack Nicholas's house down in um, Palm Beach. And I was going through his trophy room, looking at all of his trophies. And I came into the room and <clears throat> on the wall was this giant marlin. It was like a thousand pound marlin. And he, Jack was in the room and he saw me looking at that marlin. He said to me, do you know where that marlin was caught? And I said, I know everything about that marlin. He says, how do you know that? And I said, well, in 1978, you came over to play in the Australian Open and we all got our tickets to come down on the train. We were going to volunteer to the tournament, my brother and I, with a bunch of other juniors from Wagga. And um, I said, you caught the marlin. And apparently, as the story goes, we found out three or four days later that in the newspaper that Jack had, had fought this fish for hours and hours and he pulled all the back muscles in his back. And the word was that he was not going to play in the Australian Open. He couldn't, couldn't, he, he couldn't compete. And we were like, do we go? Do we not go? I mean, Jack Nicholas is coming. And um, he finally decided that he was going to give it a go. We got on our train trip. We went down there. I was working on the driving range. My brother was working uh, on the back nine. And to start the tournament, Diane, Jack Nicholas topped his first tee shot off the first tee at the Australian Golf Club. And, and we thought that maybe he might not be able to play or whatever. Anyway, he went on and won the tournament. And I told that story to Jack and he goes, that's exactly the way it went down. That is so cool. And as you say, he's, he's your hero. You've had so many great encounters with him and conversations with him. And I've been with you when we've seen him at the Masters. And it's, it's lovely to see because when anyone sees him, it's such a special moment. And he's got time for everyone. Yeah, he's great. And of course, I'm the same age as most of his kids. And I know all of his kids and um, played on tour with Jackie and Gary and um, just been around the family for, you know, all these years on tour. It's been a blessing. Of course, he was my overall hero, but my Australian hero was Bruce Devlin, who is, is well, uh, it's well uh, chronicled on this, on Out on Secret Golf, how much I love Bruce Devlin, because he was from my area yeah. as well. Uh, the other day in Jacksonville, this is totally off topic, and I tried to get a picture of it, but I wasn't quick enough and I was driving. But there was a food truck that went by me and it was called Wagga Wagga, but it was W A U G A. No, it's, it's, it's different. Yeah. That's different. But I was like, that's, what a weird name for a food truck. Well, what, that's uh, Wagyu Wagyu, probably, because that Wagyu is Wagyu meat. But it wasn't spelled that way. It was W A U G A. So I was like, it's like Wagga Wagga. When you're in the know, you just you drop the back Wagga. You just call it oh, I'm from Wagga. <laughs> Do you see the dog here? <laughs> I just saw him at the corner of my eye. <laughs> yeah. We're from Wagga, mate. Mate, we're from Wagga. That's funny. So last week it was the Workday Charity Open at Muirfield Village. And it's been cool to have seen Memorial last week, see Muirfield Village last week, and then to see it this week again for Memorial. Um, we had talked about the fact that the course setup was going to be different. And this week we're going to see some interesting stuff because on Monday they're tearing the course down completely. But what did you think about the course last week? 
Well, the, certainly uh, we discussed earlier in the week about the workday that they were going to try to play a slightly different event. We saw a lot of pins that were tucked in the front. We saw the 14th hole, for example, the guys were driving it on in one to a front pin. I think there was an eagle made there or a couple of eagles. Um, it was interesting that um, with all this talk about length and uh, everyone going for everything, Justin Thomas found himself, well, uh, the, the, the winner, uh, Colin Morikara, was out in front after 36 holes. Uh, he was then chased down by Justin Thomas, who was sort of came on this tour a couple of years ago, and he was kind of the young guy that was hitting it a long way. But then we, as the week went on, we watched him lay up and play conservative in certain places, and he took a, a really nice lead. And then we saw Colin Morikawa, of course, three shots down with three holes to go. I thought the tournament was over. I think everyone thought it was over, but nope, it wasn't. And uh, it finished up being a very dramatic playoff. And Colin Morikawa won the event. Now, this week, I've been told that um, through rules officials, through my friend who's a rules official, Steve Rintoul, who grew up in Mollymook, the next town over from Wagga Wagga, um, that they're now going to try to push the course back into its uh, rightful uh, length and style that they play the memorial. And what does that mean? They, um, they're going to get the pins back into the corners we saw, for example, on 18, when everyone was finishing, the pin was front left. That's not very traditional for a Sunday at Memorial. It's always, always in the back. So they saved a lot of the, they saved a lot of the, uh, the real hard pin placements, Diane, till this week. Yeah. And the rough, we talked about that as well, because last week the rough was, what, four inches or something. But this week, so they weren't going to cut it from Friday onwards. So this they week it's going to be like, what, five, five and a half? Jack Nicholas said yesterday in his presser that it was five, five and a half inches. So he said, it's just no good if you go in there. So that's bad. Yeah. Jack's trying to, he would just like to see his course played in, in, a, in a sort of a, uh, a way that he, he wants it set up. And of course, the big, the big uh, intangible this week is whether or not it's going to rain. And they talked about last week, they kept the greens at 11 on the stamp meter. Mm-hmm. And now this week they're going for 13. But well, what does that actually mean? Well, they, there's a stick that they take, Diane, that's one meter long, and it has a groove in it, and they put a ball on the end of it, and as they raise the stick, as soon as it gets to the point of gravity, the ball rolls off, mm-hmm. and it goes down the green. And they measure from the end of the stick to the end of the ball. If it's 11 feet, that means the greens are 11 on the stamp meter. Right. This week, they're saying they're 13 on the stamp meter. Now, I've only ever seen 15 or 16 at Augusta. And the trick at Augusta is it's never a flat spot. They do it, they, they try to find the flattest spot. They do it down this way, and then they come back and do it this way, and they take the average. But 13, Diane, by the way, is crazy fast. Uh-huh. Just, just so everyone knows, it's very fast. So who has the advantage this week? Is it the guys that played last week that were at putting that were at 11 and now they got to allocate two more feet or is it someone like tiger woods that comes in this week that he didn't play last week and he's just seeing the set of beautiful fast greens and which one's going to be uh easier to get used to that Mm -hmm. and tiger on a course that he loves and has had such success at and going back very quickly to justin thomas he's going to be out there looking for redemption this week though because that i mean 
he was disappointed. He said it on social media that he blew the lead and that shouldn't have happened. Then that playoff was one of the most exciting playoffs I've ever seen when he sunk that 50-foot putt and then Morikawa followed it up and then they kept going. Um, he's got to be looking to go out there and get the job finished this week after the frustration of Sunday. Yeah, and it's whether he can get off to a decent start or not and try to hold that momentum that he has. It'll all, I think for Justin, those that are thinking about Justin Thomas this week, I think it's going to be right out of the gate mm-hmm. um, for him, right out of the gate. Uh, Morikawa, of course, we've got Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy coming back. They're playing with Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka is an interesting story this week because he, as he sits right now, he hasn't played very well or he hasn't shown up in um, this year because he's – pandemic and he didn't play well before it he hasn't played well after it so he finds himself outside the playoff looking in and he said he's basically got to run the tables if he wants a chance to get to Atlanta Mm -hmm. so it's going to be a very interesting pairing for him playing with Rory playing with Tiger is is Kepka going to be able to come through this week yeah I cannot wait to see Tiger playing with no fans because he said this week he's never experienced it before. Even when he first came out as a rookie, there was so much buzz around him from day one. He's never played without a huge crowd following him. Is that going to be strange for him? I think it's going to be real strange for him. He uh, He's never played without a big crowd and they've always pulled really loud for him. So... Hey, he's gonna he's gonna feel like the rest of us sometimes. <laughs> we didn't have any fans coming around to watch us play, so um, you know I don't know what to expect from him this week. Um, normally speaking, you would say that Tiger coming off a really rested it doesn't matter to him, and he can really play well. Uh, we know that this week, if you were going to sort of, if you were thinking about your who your picks are this week, you've got to get a guy that can drive it in the fairway. You just have to. And if Tiger, the way he played at the uh, the match down in Florida, the way he was driving the ball there. Hey, if he can do that, then he'll be in good shape to play this course. But the the rough at five and a half, six inches with the greens being fast and now the pins pushed into the corners, even if you get a Bryson DeJambeau who's hitting the ball a mile, if he's in the rough, the best he'll be able to do is get advanced maybe to the center of the green. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jack Nicholas wants to see his course play tough. The tour wants to see the scores play tough. I don't know. I don't think the players are that really that worried like we are about Bryson DeJambeau hitting the ball so far. I think they're all focused on playoffs, mm-hmm. and I think they're focused on getting this tee shot in the fairway. You can't play. You can't play the course at all this week without being in the tee, without having the tee shot in play. Yeah, well, um, let's talk about Jason Duffner because that's a strength of his game. And this is a course that traditionally he does really well on. He won it in 2017. Last year, he finished T7. Um, Even last week, okay, final round wasn't that great. But, you know, he was up there. He had a low round on Saturday. So someone like Jason Duffner, we talk all the time about that those good vibes and that momentum when you head back to a place that you've had success at and that you've won at. So I would always say, you know, he's one to definitely watch at this tournament. Well, if I was handicapping someone like Jason Dusker, and he's, he's actually down on the uh, FedEx and he's down on the picks, but um, he kind of, in my mind, he automatically hits the fairway easily where it's harder for him is when the scores get super low, even though he has won at the Bob Hope classic where the scores were super low. So he's a hot and cold putter. But anytime the scores are staying around par for the cut and around about, Jason should should be fine because it relaxes him. He realizes he doesn't have to be five under through the cut. 
Is that is that sort of hedging your weakness? Absolutely, it's hedging your weakness. Tiger Woods, for example, what's his weakness? I'm not going to compare the two, but if he if Tiger has to get the ball in play, Jason, it's not a big deal for Jason to get the ball in play. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we've got a good bunch of our guys in the field this week. Duffner, Harmon, Jason Kokrak, Andrew Landry, Mark Leishman, Ryan Palmer, and JT Poston. Leishman finished fifth year last year as well and uh, you talk about Leishman and Duffner they've both had quite a lot of success on this course before I was watching the telecast last week it was on PGA Tour Live and they were talking about Leishman and he didn't have a great week last week but they were saying he's one of the most underrated players like he's been on tour for a long time now he's so consistent he's so good but they were like he is underrated I don't know if I agree with that he's definitely not underrated by me he's already won Uh, He won out in San Diego. He finished second at Bay Hill. To me, motivation is really tough for him right now, in my opinion. He's already in the top 30. He's going to be playing all the way through to the Tour Championship. What is he doing? What is is the um, emotional that he's going through? Diane, if I ever wrote a book, I've written one book, but if I ever wrote another one, I would write about how it, what it's like to be a tour player and how do you handle, how do you push yourself to keep doing well and how do you shrug off missed cuts? How do you psychologically be able to go forward? Yeah, you should write that book. I, I would be interested in reading that book. <laughs> because you know what? It's a minefield out there. I mean, your brother, for example, Russell Knox, who's, who's um, not been able to find form after this pandemic, he's been missing cuts and he's down. Um, how do you wipe the slate clean and keep playing well? Uh, I know Russell's a great player. He deep down knows he's a great player, but today he doesn't think so. It doesn't matter if he sees this or not. But the point is, that's how you've got to, you know, there's an old saying that if you're going to ride bulls for a living, that you've got to get used to being thrown off. And that's what what you've got to teach these young guys. Yeah. I spoke to Rian Gibson this week, um, and we've got that on the podcast and that Zoom as well. But Rian is playing the Valero course this week on the Corn Ferry Tour and he was telling me that he drove to San Antonio and just got there yesterday played the course obviously he graduated from the Corn Ferry Tour to get onto the PGA Tour last year and I'd said to him like you know what's the kind of mindset behind that and he was like well you know people don't understand that when you graduate from the Corn Ferry Tour onto the PGA Tour and you get your card you don't have a full card So he said, you know, there's all the categories and you fall below like the 150 and whatever past winners. So he said the amount of starts you get is tough. And he's just looking to do this to, I mean, I'm sure make a bit of money and also try and increase his status a little bit more. Yeah, what he said was exactly true, Diane. There's already 125 guys on the PGA Tour and then you've got another extra like Rian who came off the Corn Ferry, another 20 guys. So as some of the stars don't play like we haven't seen Tiger plays, these guys slot in to make the field up. So this week, our our own Pat Perez didn't get in the field. Uh, He wasn't in the top 120 players. So, um, you know, that's a bit of a, a reality check. But it is what it is, and the tour has always been that way. That the better you play, the more status you get. And Rian was saying as well that the way it worked, even after you, you had that long break that everyone had, and then even after that, the only start he got was at the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit. And he said he just needs to get tournament reps under his belt because nothing, nothing replaces that. You can go out and play as much as you want by yourself, but nothing replaces playing in a tournament and having that feeling. 
Yeah, and it's not going to get easier for Rian. He's going to probably – he'll get in next week at uh, 3M um, and he'll get in at Reno. But now the playoffs come up and he's not in that. So uh, it's just the way the schedule's fallen. So it's sort of a almost a nightmare now. The tour has said that they're going to take the guys that are exempt this year and they're going to carry it over for next year. That's correct, right? Yeah, that's the so, reason. So at least for pressure standpoint, that takes the pressure off that. And I asked him that question. I said, do you feel pressure right now? And he said, well, it's a bit of a like catch 22. You do feel like all right because you know that your status is secure for next year. But then at the same time, you are under pressure because you've got to kind of like prove yourself and make sure that you are moving up and trying to get in that 125. Yeah, it's a very envious thing when you see someone um, play well right now Mm -hmm. because you're like, man, I wish that was me because – you know, you've got to stay out there. And how hard is it? To, I told my wife, I said, how would you like to be on tour right now where you have to get tested for all this and you can't come out and um, you have to wear a mask and you got to go back sort of isolate each night. And, and it's just weird, right? And all you can do is practice. Maybe what do you do? Watch a movie, um, wear a mask, talk to your fr- friends in the locker room. Um, terrible time to be a tour pro. However, they are getting out there to play, and, and the tour has done a nice job of getting everyone out, out to play. I think um, this week will be, be – sorry, go ahead. Can you carry on? No, I was just going to go on with Jack, but no, I had nothing really. So um, we were talking about this on the podcast last week, but it's been announced there's going to be no fans for the rest of the season. How do we feel about the majors? Because they're their own entity. Do you think there's hope still of the US Open and the Masters having fans? There's no hope at the PGA because the the California said no. I haven't heard no from the Masters and I haven't heard no from the US Open. So personally speaking, I hope that um, I hope that they let some fans come in for the Masters, Diane, because that's where we would like to go visit in the fall. It would be great. And, you know, this week, uh, going back to Jack Nicholas's tournament, um, people may have seen our cartoons that we put on uh, Secret Golf this week about, about um, the Chief Leather Lips which was a uh, when Jack Nicholas built Muirfield Village, it was near a Indian burial ground, and he was going to put the driving range on top of a cemetery of, of the famous Chief Leatherlips. And the tribal staff told him not to do that, and he did it anyway. And they told him that he would be cursed, the memorial tournament would be cursed for forever with rain, Diane. And yep. of course, this is not my story; this is their story, but. Barbara Nicholas has made all kind of um, offerings to uh, Chief Leatherlips's gravesite, whether it be cakes or whatever it is. But last week and this week is still pending, Diane, whether or not uh, old Leatherlips is going to play a factor this week. It's come true every year, hasn't it? There's been some sort of range delay every single year. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, okay. This course is also, I think um, I was reading a stat yesterday that four of the last six memorials have gone to a playoff and we saw a playoff last week at the Workday Charity Open. So it's one of those courses as well. I don't know. I always associate this tournament with a playoff too. Yeah. And um, the other thing that I didn't mention, Diane, was um, they're going to add the new tees this week that they didn't, they didn't use last week because they didn't want to get them uh, tore up. So if you're looking at cuts this week i think last week was two under or one under this week it's going to be closer to even they push the they push the pins traditionally back into the corners of the greens the greens of course are two two feet uh faster and now they're going to add four t's 
do I know if that's going to make any difference to these guys that play so good? I don't know, <laughs> but um, certainly uh, it'd be nice to see some. Um, I don't want to see struggling. Yeah, I used to. I used to think when I was on tour that people you'd read the press and they say, "Oh, we want to see these pros struggle." No, we don't. We don't <laughs> want to see them struggle. We just want to see them hit it straight, and we don't want to see them hit it in the rough down there and knock it up there by the hole. And we have to enjoy the course as it is this year because from Monday, it's getting torn up. And Jack said yesterday that from next year, the guys are going to see a bit of a different golf course. You never know with what, uh, you know, Jack's always, you know, this this golf course has been his baby and he's changes it so much. Um, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what he knows is coming. No one knows more about the game than Jack. He knows what's coming with the players. By the way, when you think about uh, uh, Bryson DeJambeau, when we saw a, a picture of Tony Finau that got up to 206-mile-an-hour ball speed while he was in Utah last week, so other players are experimenting with this huge speed. It takes a lot of endurance to be able to keep swinging at that speed, and that's where Bryson is. It's taken him a long time to get up to that point, and I read an interesting piece about him. So if this is where they're going, it'll be interesting. The, the, the president of the Royal and Ancient, uh, came out last week and he talked or this week and talked about what what that's going to impact it's going to be inter interesting to see where this see what happens here mm -hmm. yeah well for the open at st andrews i mean what on earth are they going to do to that course by then yeah the only intangible that we haven't that puts up the scores the most we haven't seen diane and of course you know what that is and that's wind yeah weather we haven't had any wind this year at all since the pandemic's gone So, Rian, where are you right now? I am in San Antonio, Texas. Okay, so the PGA Tour is in Ohio this week, and I take it you're doing corn fetting tour. I am, yeah. Um, I'm going to come down here and play the event at uh, Titonio, do uh, the course where the Valero Texas Open was meant to be, you know, um, pre-corona, I guess. So, uh, played the course before uh, a couple of years ago when I had my cards. So kind of know what to expect and, uh, you know, just trying to get into some events because we really haven't had much access to the PGA Tour since the uh, restart. How strange has it been, first of all, with the restart after the whole COVID pandemic break? Yeah, it's been weird. Um, you know, my last event on the main tour was Puerto Rico, which was, you know, towards the end of February. And then, um, you know, with the tour starting up at Charles Schwab and everyone back playing, you know, I just haven't had much access, you know, directly to get on the tour. So, um, yeah, it's been a little weird. I've already had a lot of time off and then I've kind of got more time off because I wasn't having access. So, um, you know, but I had my first shot two weeks ago in Detroit, which was, which was good to kind of see where my game up, you know, after a long break. Um, but to be honest, I really enjoyed the break. I've never had time off before like this. So, um, you know, trying to get back in the swing of things now and see if we can make a push towards the top 125. So you will we'll go back a little bit. You played Corn Ferry Tour last year. And was it last year? It was, wasn't it? I graduated off it last year, yeah. And then you graduated onto the PGA Tour. And when it what was your number when you actually moved on to the Tour then? I think I finished the regular season around number eight. Okay. Um, and then we kind of had like a zipper, I, I guess they call it like a zipper process to where they got like one and one, two and two. So I think I ended up coming to the Tour in the fall with about, you know, the 16th or 18th cards um, and had a lot access to the events in the fall. 
But even then, when you've come from the Corn Ferry Tour, you are further down when it comes to getting into the events. So, you know, how was that pressure, making the jump from the Corn Ferry up to the PGA Tour? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you talk to a lot of the guys, you know, we kind of come from the top, obviously the top 25 players from that year and being at like the top of the top of the list to then going to the back of the list once we get move up to the PGA Tour. So um, accessibility becomes very difficult. Um, I have a lot of a lot of people ask me, why aren't you playing this week? And I kind of explain to them that agree, the Corn Ferry graduate category is category 27 on the list. So there's basically 26 categories ahead of us, you know, Masters champions, the top 125 previous year that, you know, have access to the events before we do. So uh, it's, a, it's a bit misleading to graduate and everyone thinks we have like a full card, um, but it couldn't be further from the case. So we've got to get out there and play well early to try and, you know, solidify as many events as we can for the year. And it is confusing. And even when we work in golf and we're talking about it day in, day out, especially, you know, it's different this year, but towards the end of the season last year, it's you the more you talk about it it's like the more confusing it gets like it's not a straightforward process no, so you've got no, it's your really not um, have access to the tour with regards to past champions um you know top 125 126 or 150 category so um yeah trying to explain that to people it, it, you can definitely get on a tangent and take a while you know to explain to people so you know i just say look there's i can't get in this week because there's too many guys ahead of me that want to play so and this week's always such a strange one anyway, with it being an invitational memorial. Someone said to me the other day, like, my brother Russell, why isn't he playing? And I'm like, I don't really know. Like, it's, really, yeah. it's hard to figure out who gets into what for these. Yeah, it is. Uh, it seems like a lot of the tournaments now, you know, are full field events or invitationals. So, you know, this week, I think, you know, normally it'd be a 121 field. Um, whereas I think they went to 130 because of this corona thing. They let some more people in. But... Full field, the events I'm looking at getting in are kind of 156. So, you know, that that's where we fit in is like that kind of 130 to 156 number. So unless you've had a good start to the year, you're always going to struggle to get the, the limited field events. And because of the reduced schedule, there's only, what, like three or four events left before the playoffs start. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah it makes it difficult for us, you know, to push for that top 125. And, you know, a lot of the big-name guys, you know, who would play kind of heavily in the summer, up to the to the playoffs um you know they haven't they haven't they're all they're all trying to play to make sure they can get into that top 125 and make a run at the fedex cup but at least this year the your status continues to next season anyway it's not like you have to worry about keeping your car yeah absolutely um I, I think the tour did the right thing there uh, with regards to keeping status for next year um you know, we can't be demoted, but we can also move up. So if I was to have a strong finish and, and get into the playoffs, I can play out of that like 125 category for next year, which would probably give me, you know, roughly 15 to 18 more starts than I, what I would have in, in the category I'm currently in. Yeah. Um, do you feel pressure right now? Um, yes and no. Like, like you just touched on, like I know I have somewhere to play for next year, which is awesome, but I'd also like the opportunity to get out and play um, you know, try to better my numbers. So you know, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of stuck between two tours right now, you know, between, you know, the back end of the PGA Tour and then trying to gain access to the one ferry, um, you know, and it's, it's just as down here as what it is up there. So, you know, I'm looking looking for a good week this week. Um, you know, maybe I can play my way into their the restricted events, you know, why the FedEx Cup playoffs are on just to keep playing to get ready for the fall. But, um, you know, if that doesn't happen, I'm probably going to have another, you know, four to five weeks off before the fall starts, you know, with um, with Safeway. It's so funny to think that it could work that way, that the playoffs are just around the corner, really. Yeah, seriously. 
So how, with you getting into a corn ferry tour event, is it very easy for you to say, hey, I want to be in the field this week? Yeah, very much so. Um, you basically will keep the same status you would have had, you know, from the previous year. So being a winner last year, I just slot in straight into the winner's category All right. um, for down here. So, but the, the deal there is I can really only access the corn ferry events when I'm not playing or not in the field of a PGA Tour event like this week or there's no PGA Tour event on. Um, so that, that's, um, I can't just decide to drop down and play the corn ferry versus not playing the PGA tour event that week. So, um, you know, not everything lines up well, but knowing that this week was a limited field event, I thought I'd come down. Like we drove down yesterday is about seven hours from Oklahoma. And, um, you know, I just wanted to get some playing time in before, you know, before Minnesota next week. Is it nice to be back? You know, are you seeing familiar faces or does it feel a little bit like, oh, okay, I, I was here before and I kind of moved on from this? Yeah, um, you know, I'm just looking at it as an opportunity, you know. Um, it, it's the bad player out here, you know, it's just as competitive, maybe even more competitive, you know, because it's a cutthroat out here with regards to money and, you know, trying to graduate to the mm-hmm. to the next tour. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to test where my game is and see what I need to work on and, and hopefully like I said a good lead into Minnesota next week yeah too right so let's talk about your game how has it been um you said that you enjoyed the the time off and I'm sure you enjoyed a break from golf but also you can tinker with things and work on things so how's the game looking since then yeah so the only one hit out I've had so far was Detroit two weeks ago and uh, I felt like I played pretty well I didn't really know what to expect from a competition standpoint you know I'd been playing a lot at home and practicing and you know, you don't really know until you have those three and four footers for pars and stuff like that, you know, you need to make. So uh, I felt like I played pretty well there and saw some, you know, improvements in my game. And, uh, and you know, I just wanted to keep playing because I know I'm a momentum player. So if I can keep getting in tournaments and, you know, I'm just going to build off it. So that hence the reason why I'm here in San Antonio this week. I've spoken to so many people that have said that, that it's just about you can practice as much as you want when yeah. you were forced during this break, but the tournament reps are just completely different. Oh, Absolutely. And, uh, you know, to, like with the start of Corona, having like a, a goal, a, a restart goal, you know, I, was, I felt like I was out of the course with nothing really, you know, to work on, like nothing to work towards, you know. Once they kind of said when we're going to you know, restart and, you know, when I was going to restart and kind of work towards the stuff I felt like I needed to work on, you know, leading into the tournament. So, yeah. Um, but no, game feels pretty good. Um, you know, I think I shot around 10 or 11 under in Detroit, um, you know, with, you know, a few few little dumb errors, but, you know, just something to learn off and, and uh, you know, leading the events I'm going to get for the rest of the season. Playing in Detroit and then playing this week in San Antonio, how is it without fans? Like, did you find it strange in Detroit? Because last year yeah. that event was so atmospheric and it meant right. so much to the people of Detroit to have a PGA Tour event there. But yeah. how was it? Absolutely. So, um, personally, myself, I don't draw a big crowd, you know, just not, not many people know who I am. Um, so, it felt very similar to kind of like a, a corn fairy event anyway. You know, we don't really get we get crowds, we don't get crowds following groups. You know, you may come to the 16th and it may be a party hall. You may come to 17 as corporate out and you may get that massive structure. Um, so pulling in this week to Valero, you know, the last time I played here, like the structure around 18 just encompasses that whole green, the par five. And, you know, I hit a three wood in there for my second and it just looked completely different. There's nothing stopping your ball. Like it doesn't even look like the same golf course, you know, without any of the, any of the structures. So um, that's definitely a little weird, but, you know, like, like I said, I don't draw that big of a crowd, but you, you do miss out on the atmosphere holes. I will say that. Yeah. 
How's the traveling side of things having to, you know, obviously you guys are getting regularly tested. And when you arrived yesterday, the first thing you had to do was go to the course and get tested, wait for that negative result before you can enter. Do you feel a lot of pressure when it comes to where you're staying? You look like you're in a house this week, but eating out, being around people, do you have to be super careful? Yes. So um, the first flight I took, you know, since Corona started was to Detroit. And, you know, the airports and the masks, like, it wouldn't seem real, like, and, uh, but that was fine. And then the testing protocol is, is pretty difficult. Um, you know, I had to kind of adjust some of my travel schedules to make sure I could come in enough early, you know, to get the test because it takes about the turnaround time between the test and two hours. So you want to make sure you can get there as early as you can to get the test. Um, you know, so instead of maybe coming in on a Tuesday, you know, with no pro-ams on Wednesday, it's nice, you know, you can have a practice round. Um, and most of the time I would come in on a Tuesday, but now, you know, I'm kind of coming in on a Monday just to get it done. Um, and then, yeah, that nasal swab, I mean, it's, it's not very nice, I tell you. Um, but you know, I mean, the, the tour has done a really good job. I think they've, they've really, you know, touched all angles and bases with regards to plays in the bubble and, you know, keeping, make, making sure everyone's testing negative and, um, I, I, kudos to the tour for doing that. And, uh, I think everyone feels, feels pretty safe out here. So. I was at the Travelers Championship and I was working for the tour. So again, like there's so few people around, but the nasal swab, I hadn't had it done. I'd done like a spit test, but I said to the lady, I'm actually quite scared. And afterwards, I'm like, it just felt like someone had rammed a stick of like chili pepper up your nose. And it stayed that way for a while. It's the after effects, but um, I brought a friend down to Caddy for me this week and it was his first experience. And, yeah, he didn't like it very well either. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to catch up. And um, it's cool to hear that you are doing a very tour this week. You know, I'm sure it's uh, nice. I'm sure there's a very, like, comfortable, friendly feeling being back there, seeing all the guys. And hopefully it's well, some brilliant course to play on. So hopefully the game's in a good place. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, a few few extra rounds before the Valero next year is nice. And, um yeah, like I said, looking forward to just testing the game again before I get back out on the main tour and, um, you know, see if I can make a push at that, like, playoffs in the top 125, so. Right. Excellent, Rian. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Diane. Rian Gibson there playing on the Corn Ferry Tour this week in San Antonio and that tournament actually gets underway today. The Memorial Tournament starts tomorrow as always and in the field we have Jason Duffner who actually won it in 2017 and finished T7 last year. Brian Harmon, Jason Kokrak, Andrew Landry, Mark Leishman who finished fifth last year, Ryan Palmer and JT Poston. So we'll be following along with all of those guys on our Secret Golf social media. Just search Search for Secret Golf on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and we'll be back with another podcast next week.